Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Amen. Something about those old hymns, isn't it? They got a little something on them. That's what they'd like to say. Uh, Because that's a fact. This morning in Sunday school, we were talking about how that there's a lot of things that we think. And there's a lot of things we believe. There's a lot of things that we hope. But there's really not a whole lot of things that we know for sure. But John said that if we have the Son we know we have life. Amen? Amen? And I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I do know who holds me and who holds tomorrow. And that right there should be a great source of comfort. The truth about life is life is unpredictable. You can say amen right there. Uh, You just never know what is going to be on the other side of a phone call. You never know what's going to happen next week or next year. We don't know what's going to happen in our country. We don't know what's going to happen in our our bodies, but we know the God of heaven. And we know that the Bible tells us that nothing and no one is big enough to pluck us out of His hand. And that right there is comfort. That even when things don't go the way maybe that we want them to, because I'll just tell you, sometimes things don't go the way I want them to. Am I the only one this morning? (laughs) Or sometimes I look at life, I look at situations, and I think, God, why that? Why is that happening to that family? Why is that happening to this person? Why is it this happening to me? Why is, why is this going on? And, and the truth is, I don't know. But I know Him. And I know I can trust Him. And I know that even when I can't see what's up ahead, that He can see what I can't see. Amen. I'm glad that we have a good and faithful God who even when we look around and go, Lord, I don't know what's going on. Can you imagine being the disciples when Jesus was on the cross, thinking, what is going on? Amen? How did we get here? And yet it was all in God's perfect plan. I'm glad we've got a God who holds the world and today and tomorrow and everything in His hands. Amen. Take your Bible this morning, turn to Exodus chapter uh, 34. I had a thought that I was thinking, uh, sort of meditating on and considering for the service this morning, and, and uh, I believe the Lord is, He directed me away from that, and um, I really wanted to preach on that, and hopefully I'll get to uh, another day, but this morning the Lord has taken me to a, to a thought that I, I preached some years back, um, and, and I'm hoping that I can give it to you this morning. I want it to be a help to you, amen? It's kind of a difficult topic, to be honest, something that um, maybe you don't hear talked about a lot or preached on a lot, but it is, it is something that I think is important, something I want to just remind you of a couple things that hopefully will help you this morning. Amen. My desire is to help you. My desire is never to hurt you. Amen. My, as the pastor of this church, my desire is never to hurt God's people. Amen. My desire is always to give you what God wants to the edification of the church, to build up, not tear down. Uh, I, I, want this, I want this word to be a help to you this morning. So if you would, pray for me. Pray the Lord will help me. And give me a spirit, because I need a touch from God this morning. I'm, in, I'm just not good enough to preach. Amen? I'm just not spiritual enough to, to just do it. I need God. Amen? And, it's, and, I'll, and I'll tell you a trick. So does every other man who ever stands behind the pulpit. Without a touch from God, this right here, it's just an act. It's just a sounding brass or a tinkling symbol. A symbol excuse me. I need the Lord this morning. Uh, so y'all pray for me. Exodus chapter number 34, verse number 1. What we have here is we have the account of the Lord giving to Moses and the children of Israel the second tables of the Ten Commandments. You all know the story how that Moses was there on Mount Sinai that God had given him the Ten Commandments. And then as he came down 
and saw the children of Israel committing atrocities before God, uh, worshiping idols, breaking the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, that in his anger Moses broke those stone tablets, and now God is in His grace and mercy giving them another set. Amen. Uh, In verse number 1, the Bible says, The Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let all the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moses rose up early in the morning, went up unto Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and took in his hand the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. That's interesting that the Lord descends and then the Lord proclaims His own name. Amen. I bet that was really something to behold. And the Lord passed by before Him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head down toward the earth and worshiped. That was the proper response. He said he made haste. What does that mean? He, he was quick about it. He didn't sit and think about it and, well, what should I do? And, you know, no, when the Lord began to proclaim who he was, Moses hit the dirt. Amen. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. I say amen. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Verse 12, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee but ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is... What's that next word? Jealous. Is a jealous God. Back there in verse number 5, it told us that the Lord descended in a cloud, and there He proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord's name is not like my name. It's not like your name. Our names, many of them are chosen on a whim by our parents because of a family member or something they like or something that they just thought sounded neat or something that someone else hadn't already picked, right? But when it comes to the name of the Lord, He does not just say Jehovah and then move on. But His name is encapsulated not just in a word, but in who He is. Can you see that? The Lord. The Lord God. Keeping mercy for thousands. He said, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth. That these are His... These are, if you would, all a part of His name. It's all a part of who He is. The Lord's name is who He is. And there's a lot of great and real shout-worthy things in that name. Amen. I mean, we could just part there in verses 6 and 7 and shout for a while about how He's gracious, amen, how He's merciful, how He's long-suffering, how He's abundant in goodness and truth, amen. Thank God He is. Thank God He's abundant in goodness and truth, amen. But He goes on, He begins to describe, though, how that He cannot bear sin, that He looks on iniquity and transgression, and that He cannot bear to be near it, and that He will judge it. Because that is just as much 
a part of God as His grace and love and mercy and truth. People want to say God is love, God is love, God is love. And by the way, God is love. The Bible tells us He is. But He's also some other things. He is a judge. He is righteous. He is true. He is light, John said. And in Him is no darkness at all. And here as He's talking to Moses and He is giving Moses these tables back and He is going to pin those Ten Commandments on them again. Don't think God has forgotten the last time. I mean, the first thing He said to Moses is go cut out a couple more, sta- a couple more tables just like you know the ones you broke. Like those ones, Moses. You know the ones you broke the other day? You remember those? Go make some like those. So God has not forgotten what just happened. And the reason that those tables got broken, does anybody know what happened? Down there at the foot of the mountain, Moses had been gone just a little too long for their liking. They'd already forgot about the Red Sea and all that good stuff. And they said, well, God's left us. Moses is dead. Let's make us a God. Well, that was real smart, first of all. All those gods in Egypt had done a whole lot for them. Why wouldn't they go back to something like that? And they get all their gold and all their stuff, and Aaron, in his great spiritual leadership, makes them a big molten calf, and they worship it. And they begin to commit wicked sins before that calf and worship this thing that they just got. They just watched it be made out of things that were in their ears and they had in their camp, and now they're worshiping it like it is God. And here comes God, and He's given the Ten Commandments, and what's He say? Thou shalt have no other gods before Me. I mean, from the very get-go, that's the one thing they've already broken. Here's what Moses says, God, forgive us. God, make a covenant with us. And God said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Moses said, come amongst us. And here's what God said, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make a covenant with you. Before all the people, I'm going to do marvels. I'm going to do things like nobody has ever seen in the whole earth. And by the way, he is. He said, I'm going to do some things. He said, I'm going to do some t- something. He called it a terrible thing, which is something that is so awe-inspiring that it's terrifying. Right? He said this, Take heed unto thyself. He said that to Moses. Take heed unto thyself. Y'all need to be careful. Lest when I take you to the promised land where I'm going to drive out the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Hivites and the Canaanites and, and the Amorites and all the ites, When y'all go in there, take heed that you don't start worshiping their false gods. Tear down their altars, cut down their groves, and get everything out of there, break their images, for thou shalt worship no other god. Why? For the Lord, whose name... Now, He's been proclaiming His name, hasn't He? Gracious, long-suffering, full of goodness, full of mercy, a judge a righteous judge who will not bear sin. Then he said this, For the Lord, whose name is capital J, Jealous, is a jealous God. Now let's be honest. We've all experienced jealousy. Right? My children experience it on a regular basis. It's Link's birthday today. And I thought, man, I hope everything goes well because you know Link will get a present and it's not Peyton's birthday. A lot of mamas will, will buy a little gift for the other kids, too, to soften the blow. You know what I mean? And, you know, you do what you want to do. And we, we, Brooke may give Peyton a gift. I don't know. I haven't checked with her before this. But I'll tell you this. It's natural and normal to feel jealousy sometimes. It's not necessarily right, but you feel it, right? You feel like, well, you know, why did that guy at work get the promotion when I worked ten times harder than him, right? Why, why did so-and-so get all the praise when I did this and... It is natural to experience something akin to what we'd call jealousy. But this verse does not say that God experiences jealousy. It says His name is jealous. You know what that means? Jealousy is a core personality trait of God. You look at that word jealous there in the Hebrew, that is a proper noun capital J, just like capital W word, which we shout about in John chapter 1, you got capital J, jealous, in the Exodus chapter 34. That is a Hebrew word that, uh, that is, uh, it's kanah is the word. It means, it is a word used of God as not bearing any rival. The severe avenger of a departure from himself. Very simply, it is this. 
It is a name that God gave to Himself, to Moses, saying this, I will bear no rival. Amen. It is all me and no other God. That's what he's saying, isn't it? He's not going to let any of the other pantheons from the false gods come in and hang out. That they're going to worship Him or they're not. That you cannot serve two masters. It is me and my way or the highway. That is God's statement to Israel. You want to make them a covenant with me, and we know that covenant is a picture of marriage, right? We know that we are in the Bible. We are the bride of Christ, and Israel is the wife of God. And God deals with them as an unfaithful wife throughout the Old Testament. He's saying, I'm not going to bear a rival. I'm not going to compete for your attention. I'm not going to compete for your worship. Amen, that's what he's saying. I, I, my name is Jealous. I am a jealous God. And you better be careful that you don't go chasing other gods. That's what he said. We can go down through, and for the sake of time, I won't read all these verses, but in Deuteronomy 4, 23, he tells them again, Take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant. Verse 24, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. So he tells them again in Deuteronomy 4, 24, 23. In uh, Deuteronomy 6, chapter 12, he said, Beware lest thou forget the Lord. He said, Forget again there in Deuteronomy 6 which brought thee forth out of Egypt. Thou shalt fear the Lord God and serve Him, shalt swear by His name. You shall not go after other gods or the gods of the people around you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. That sounds pretty intense, doesn't it? Joshua 24, 19. Joshua, that great speech, we all know where he says, choose you to stay whom you'll serve. He tells them this. He said, you cannot serve the Lord, for He's a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins if you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods. He will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that He hath done you good. Man, that does not sound like the sort of God that the world is trying to propagate, does it? But you know what it is? It's God. That's who He is. Jealousy is not just an emotion or a displeasure that he feels. What jealousy is, the jealousy of the Lord is an emotion that precedes action. When you kindle the jealousy of God, God is about to do something about it. Amen? As human beings, when we feel jealousy, it is often because, it's, it's often in the case where probably we shouldn't, right? We shouldn't. Well, I'm feeling jealous over this, and, and the truth is, well, I, I should be happy for them, right? I, I'm, I'm being covetous, or I'm feeling jealous about this, and, and really it's just my own insecurities, or, or I'm feeling jealous about that. That's not what it is with God. What it is with God is very simple. He said, I'm God. There are no other gods. I've got to be number one, and if I'm not, then you're not worshiping me correctly. Like, that's what he's saying. I am God. I created you. I created all of you. I created everything. I'm the God of heaven, and I have got to be the biggest and best and most important thing in your life. And if you go to bowing down to other gods and other idols, then I'm going to get jealous, and when I get jealous, I'm going to do something about it. That's what he's saying. So we see that. Well, here's the thing. We talk about it. We think about it. And, I, and let, let, me say, let me make this statement real quickly. I understand that the Bible tells us the Bible tells us quite plainly uh, in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9, God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. So I am aware, before we get into these couple points, and I'll be quick, I am aware that we are under grace. Can you say amen? We're under grace. God's not going to send another flood like He did in the days of Noah. God is not, not going to send us into, into, uh, into Babylon like He did the Jews when they, when they cheated on Him with false gods. God has spared us from His vehement wrath in some ways because here's what He said, our God is a consuming fire, and the implication was this, if you don't, if you don't follow me and you turn to false gods, I'll kill you. I mean, when He came down from the mountain, and they're worshiping the, the golden calf. You know what happened afterward? A lot of people died. A lot of people died. They were consumed. 
When Korah tried to rebel with his family against Moses and against children of Israel, you know what God did? He opened up the earth and he swallowed them and fire came out and burnt everybody around them. That's how God was dealing with it then. He said, I'm going to do some things with y'all that are big and great and wonderful and terrible. And he did. So that they would know that he was God and that he was jealous. But we're under grace. We're under Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God that now we have forgiveness like they never had. Amen. Abraham and all those men, they died having not seen the promise. We've seen it and have received the promise. And that's Jesus. Amen. Thank God we've been saved and we can be forgiven for our sins. However, God has not changed. Does God change? The Bible says He changes not. But we're not appointed unto wrath. And when we say that, here's what He said. He said, we're not appointed to wrath, we're appointed to salvation. So here's what that means. God is not going to wipe out His children if they're disobedient. He's not appointing us to wrath. He's appointed us unto salvation. But the law of sowing and reaping does apply to God's children. And the, 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 what would have at one time been considered the wrath of God in His jealousy, we will now consider as the chastening hand of God under grace. Now y'all know what chastening is, right? And y'all ever been chastened? <laughs> I've had some chastenings in my life. Some of them I will never forget. Some chastenings. Amen. I remember one time as a young boy, I don't remember what I did. I'm sure it was bad. Whatever. I was in the car, and we're on our way to church, and Dad was talking to him about it, Mom, and they were like, you did this. You know it was wrong. You knew it was wrong when you did it. Whatever. I'm like, yeah. They said, I'm going to give you a choice. You can have a spanking, or we will ground you from your Nintendo for one week. <laughs> I prayed about it. <laughs> Fasted. I sat there for a while. Because I'm going to be honest, I'd had spankings. They were not good. I did not want the spanking. But a week is a long time, you know? And like I had Mario to play. I'm just going to level with y'all. I took the spanking. I took the spanking. In that moment, I thought, a few moments of pain versus a week long of just like, ugh. I'll just, I'll just endure it. I think I made the wrong choice. But I was chastened for doing things that were wrong. And, and, and it, obviously the lesson didn't stick too well because I don't know what I was chasing for. I can't remember that one specifically. I can remember some other ones what they were for. But the, the point of the matter is it comes down to this. God loves us. The world says this. If you love your children, you'll never chasten them. The Bible says this about God. Those He loves, He chastens. So here's the truth. Our God is a jealous God, and if we are His children, when we kindle His jealousy, there is going to be a repercussion for that. I think maybe the world won't... Well, I don't, not, not maybe. What man wants, and I've said this before, and I'll say it a million times again, I'm sure, what man truly wants is the ability, the freedom, to do whatever he wants without consequences. That's what they want. They want, to, they, they want to marry who they want. They want to go where they want. They want to do what they want. They want to say what they want. They want to be what they want. They want to watch what they want. They want to do anything they want without consequences. And if we would just let them do that, then we could all finally let them finally be happy. But the truth is, actions do have consequences. That's just the way that it is. That's the law of sowing and reaping. First, I want, I want to show you we've kindled his jealousy in our waning. Let me hurry through these points. I know I've, I've had a long introduction. We have kindled His jealousy in our waning. You say, what does that mean, waning? It is, it's drifting away, shrinking. In these last days when our faith should be stronger than ever, I'm afraid and I fear we become weaker. We become less faithful, right? At a time when maybe we read our Bible constantly, we're reading it less. At a time when maybe we were being a witness more, we're being less of a witness. A time when we're going to church more, we're going less. Where the Bible says, you know, forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as a man or somebody is, but he says, much the more that you see the day approaching. The implication is that the closer we get to the rapture and to the end, we need more church and more Bible and more prayer and more of God, not less. And what I'm afraid of is this, that we are drifting away from God and that we are having less of God in our lives 
and more of everything else. Deuteronomy 4.23, read it a moment ago, said, Take heed unto yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which He made with you, and make you a graven image of the likeness of anything which the Lord thy God hath forbidden thee. For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. The fact of the matter is this. We are supposed to remember Him and not forget Him. He said the same thing in Deuteronomy 6. Beware lest thou forget the Lord. You know what happens a lot of times from Sunday to Wednesday? We forget the Lord. Can we say amen? I, I, Brother Paul, I would have read my Bible, but honestly, I just didn't think about it. You know, I, I would have given a gospel tract, but I didn't think about it. I, I forgot. We should never forget Him. He should be... Here's what, here's what uh, David said in Psalm 1. He said, if your delight's in the law of the Lord... In His law doth He meditate day and night. Day and night. Day and night. doesn't mean that I am always 100% of the time being spiritual. I'm not. Okay? When I'm digging a ditch, the Lord is not communing with me. Unless it's chastening. <laughs> Amen. But, He should be on our mind. He should be the first thing in the morning. He should be the last thing at night. And He should be all through the day. Especially when things get quiet or you have a moment. You should think on God. You should read your Bible. You should pray. We should not forget the Lord, what He's done for us. Like they said, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt. Has God not done much for us? Has God not done much for us? Amen. He gave His only begotten Son for us. He sent the jewel of heaven to suffer and die for your sins. He's never forgotten about you. Amen. Not once has he ever forgotten about you, Jace. He's always thinking about you. He's always considering you for your good and for his will in your life. Always. So God, help us. When we are his children, we, you know what we are? I'm going to be honest with you. We're better than the Jews in this. We've come out, we've come out smelling like roses. The Jews, they're going, man, we've got we to kill that sheep, and we've got to kill that turtle dove, we've got to kill that goat, we've got to do it on this day, and we've got to do it like this, and don't touch the ark. You know, it's, that ain't how it is with us. Jesus said, oh, you want to go to heaven? You want to, you want to be a part of my family? You want to be a part of the family of God? You want to be a part of the bride of Christ? Just repent and believe. Just come and... We got it easy. We should never forget. God told him, don't forget what I've done for you. You know why I believe we wane and we draw away from God and we drift and we become less faithful and less right? We, we forget what we were when He found us. Amen? Think about the worst thing you've ever done. Ought God just probably write you off? Ought God just probably be done with you? I'll be the first to say this morning, He has exacted less than my iniquity deserves. I got saved when I was eight years old, and, and you hear it a lot said, but the truth is, I've done way more sinning since He saved me I ever did before I was saved. And yet, when the preacher preaches, he speaks to my heart. And yet, when the songs of Zion are saying, I know who holds tomorrow, the Holy Spirit rejoices inside of me. And He speaks to me. And He loves me. And He draws me. And He blesses me in spite of all I am. How could I ever forget Him? We've waned because we've forgotten what we were. We've forgotten where we were. Load and burdened with, the, with, with sin. When God reached down, y'all heard that song? He had to reach way down for me. Sometimes I think we forget just how far down He had to reach. We, we come in here and we, we look nice and we talk nice and we look like you know the best Sunday Christians there are. But inside, man... I sang that song sometime. It's my desire, and it says, if you could see where Jesus brought me from to where I am today, then you would know the reason why I love Him so. Because he has, he has taken me from a bad place. And when I have strayed and gone back to bad places, He has drawn me back again. Why would I ever want to forget about Him? Why would I ever want to draw away from Him when He's been so abundantly good to me because of who I was and what I was and because of where I was and where He's brought me from and because of 
who we have. We have the God of all creation. When Joshua stood there and he told him, he said, now you can't serve the Lord because if you do and you turn on Him, He'll, he'll punish you. But here's what he said in verse number 15. He said, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know why? Because there is nothing like God. There's no one like Him. He is the great God, the wonderful God. He is gracious and merciful and long-suffering, and He has been so very, very good to me. Why would I ever want to draw away from Him? Why would I want to go to church less and read my Bible less and pray less and think of Him less and talk of Him less and, and do worldly things more when He is the best thing that has ever happened to me? It's just a fact. He's not some crazed, abusive, controlling creature in heaven looking down trying to manipulate us like ants in a magnifying glass. He is a gracious God who looked down at a man on his knees, overcome with horror at the thought of creating a covenant with a God he knew he could not keep. And he said, because I could swear by no greater, I'll swear by myself. So when Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and all the tribes of Israel, and so on, and David, all the way down to Mary and Joseph, when they all break the covenant over and over and over again, and somebody's got to pay the price, my son will pay it. What a good God. But look down to us who, by the way, have no hope and give us a free hope. What a good God. We kindle His jealousy in our waning. We kindle His jealousy in our worship. And that was the key, wasn't it, of what He was telling them? Don't worship other gods. Don't worship other gods. And I think most of you today would look around and say, well, when's the last time you worshipped another god? You'd say, well, I've never worshipped another god. I've never been a Buddhist, or I've never been a whatever, you know. But you go to the book of Colossians, chapter number 3, here's what Paul said about idolatry. Idolatry is exactly what the Lord's talking about there. In the book of Exodus 34, we tell them not to worship idols and false gods. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says this, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. Here's what Paul said, covetousness is idolatry. Now covetousness, we know what that is. It's envy, coveting. It's wanting more. Now that, that's, that's an American trait, isn't it? I want it, I want it now, and I want more of it, and I want it now, and I want it now. I want the best car, I want the best house, I want the best everything. i got to have the new phone. And, the, and that's just our culture. You know, that's the way things are. i got to get more, 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 more. Never satisfied, never happy. got to have more. And, and I'm not attacking you if you want the new phone. It's fine. That's life, Right? But there is something wrong with someone who is never satisfied. And the very simple reason is, well, what does it have to do with idol worship? How is that worshiping a false god? They put it to you like this. This is our defined idolatry. We're talking about how we've kindled his jealousy in our worship. This is our defined idolatry. Our idolatry is covetousness. Covetousness is a strong or inordinate desire of attaining and possessing some supposed good. That means it's not necessarily good. But in our mind, we think it is. We've got to have it. Like Amnon, when he coveted after his sister Tamar. The Bible said he loved her in his heart. He, he desired her. He coveted her. But then once he had had her, he hated her more than he ever desired her. Because it was a supposed good in his mind. But the truth is, it was not good. Covetousness is idolatry because of this. Covetousness is looking at God. What God say? It's me. I'm it. I'm the only God. Nothing else before me. No worshiping other things. You don't take my name in vain. I'm your God. If we're going to do this covenant, I am your God. You are my people, and that's it. Covetousness, listen, is looking at God and saying, you're not enough. I need more. Isn't it? 
Coveting another man's wife is looking at your wife and saying, this is not enough. Coveting another man's job, another woman's home, someone else's this, someone else's that. It's saying, that's not enough. It's that, it's that thing in us that grows and says, what I have is not enough. So how's covetousness idolatry? Because to a Christian, God must be enough. And when God... You say, well, well, that's easy to say. There's nothing wrong with, you know, some of y'all, we got some young people in here and some young adults and different ones who aren't, aren't married. Say, well, Paul, I would like a husband. I'd like a wife. I'd like to have children. Or I'd like to have a good job. And There's nothing wrong with desiring things in life. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you you should sell all your goods and go be a monk and, and, and you die, die in a cave somewhere. I'm not telling you that. But when God is in the proper place in your life, even when you lack the things that you desire, you are still satisfied. Brother Andrew Decker is pastor of Bible Believers Baptist Church in, in Canton, Ohio. He's a good friend of mine. One of the most faithful men I know on earth. I mean, to a fault, faithful to God. I mean, he's dedicated, Bible student, great guy. Some of y'all have met him, and, and others will. I'd like to. I'll eventually have him in to preach for us. He went through a, a long period of his life after graduating Bible college degree, thinking I'm going into ministry, where he had no ministry, working a crummy job. Fact, it was like a factory job, was if I'm not wrong, for a decade, looking everywhere for a wife. Nothing's happening. He is serving God in his church, and he gives a testimony and talks about how that. Basically, it was very hard for him when he is here being faithful to God and serving God and doing everything he can for God and trying to be faithful to God to look over here and see everybody at 21, 22, married, full-time in ministry. He's now 30. He's losing most of his hair. Got no wife, got no prospects, got no ministry. Preaching in nursing homes. Saying, God, when's it going to be my turn? He gave some testimony about that at the, at the camp we went to. Y'all remember talking about that. He talked about waiting on God and how that, that the greatest struggle in his life was just having God be enough. Amen? I can't relate. God was awfully kind to me. He gave me a good-looking wife at, what, 22? Amen. He blessed me. Amen. Amen. I, God put me in a, in a youth ministry position when I was 19 and way too young and stupid to be in a youth ministry position. God's been awfully good to me. And I'm hearing this testimony and I'm thinking, man, would I have made it 15 years, 12, just being faithful, being faithful and praying and praying and praying? And God, now he's married and got two healthy children and is the full-time pastor of their church. And, and, fi and God, God finally did those things for him. But you know what? He'd have missed out on all of it if God hadn't been enough during the times when there were other things He wanted. How easy would it have been for Him to say, well, there's a girl over here who's interested in me and she may not really be exactly God's will, but I just can't stand being alone anymore. Amen? Or if He'd have left His church and just went down the road and took some, you know, preaching, preaching here or there occasionally. Now He's the pastor of the church He grew up in. God doing a work in His life. And it's just a picture, an example. I'm not, I'm not trying to put him on this pedestal, nothing like that. What I'm trying to tell you is this. God must be enough. Money cannot supersede God in your life. Relationships cannot supersede God in your life. What you want your goals, your aspirations. Those things are fine. There's nothing wrong with having aspirations and goals. You should. Amen? But God has to be first. He won't settle for less. Don't expect God to pour out His perfect will in your life when God's perfect will is number seven on your priority list. Amen? Don't, don't expect that. Seek God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And His righteousness. 
and all these other things to be added unto you. He has to be first. He cannot be second. He refuses. He just won't do it. Let me hurry. Let me read this quote from Matthew Henry. The commentator, he said this, It's the love of the world, which is idolatry. That is, an inordinate love of present good and outward enjoyments, which proceeds from a too high value in the mind, and puts upon too eager a pursuit, and hinders the proper use and enjoyment of them, and creates anxious fear and immoderate sorrow for the loss of them. Covetousness is spiritual idolatry. It is the giving of that love and regard to worldly wealth, which are due to God only. Let me say it again. It is the giving of that love and regard to worldly wealth or worldly good or worldly desires which are due to God only and is more highly provoking to God than is commonly thought. These are our dominating interests. And here's what he said. He said, we become so consumed with whatever it is in this life that we think we want that we make it too valuable, too important, and too vital to us, literally, that we are terrified of losing it that we cannot stand a world where we don't have what we want, and we're giving all that love that should be reserved for God. And when we do that, we might as well build an altar and put us on it and bow down and worship ourselves because we are idolaters. And here's the thing, and I'll close with this. We're headed for a destined injury when we kindle the jealousy of God. Now, I know and you know, and hopefully you know if you've been saved, there's no scenario in which you go to hell. That scenario does not exist. And the wrath of God is manifested in the lake of fire. It is the manifest wrath of God. You are not subject unto God's wrath if you've been saved. Amen. However, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And his kindled jealousy does end. We'll call it wrath. It's not the wrath of the flaming fiery God. It, is the, it ends in chastening. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 with me if you can. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and I'll read you a couple verses from 2 Corinthians chapter 11 real quick. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 1 said this, Would to God you could bear with me a little of my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear, Paul said this, he said, I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Here's what, here's what Paul said. Paul said, as your pastor, as the one who's leading you, I'm trying to lead you to Christ and to teach you how to be holy, and to keep you from Him. He said, as a chaste virgin, as a chaste bride before Christ, that we, we come to God clean and holy and all those things. He said, but I fear. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what might happen if you stray from the truth, and you stray from God, and you go toward idolatry. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 5. Read along with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 5, You've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. Because that's us, right? We're, if we're saved, we're the children of God. Amen? We're not all on the earth God's children. Only those who have been saved by the spirit of adoption are God's children. That's us. Amen? You've forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with the sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Verse 10... For they barely for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but He, for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. What does that say about God's chastening hand? It says that God chastens us to make us holy. Isn't that what it says? He does it for our benefit, for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Verse 11, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Say amen right there. But grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yielded the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and 
the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, let it rather be healed. Verse number 14. It says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Look diligently, lest any man follow the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. I want you to get this part right here. As Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright, for ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. So what does that mean? In describing the chastening hand of God, the example that the Holy Ghost led the author of Hebrews to provide for us was Esau. Y'all know the story of Jacob and Esau. Esau made some dumb choices, right? And Jacob was a sneaky, sly devil. But here's what it said about Esau that was such a clear picture of this chastening hand. He said this, he said, Esau, for one morsel of meat, sold his birthright. That birthright was something that was set aside for him as the firstborn son that he had a claim to. It was his, it was his father's will that he have it. We say amen? It was Jacob's will that Esau get his birthright. But in Esau's mind, that bowl of bean soup was worth more than his birthright. Because in that moment, all he could think about was how good it smelled. Amen? No matter how much later Esau might have reconsidered, and no matter how many good things might come in Esau's life, because there's good things that came in Esau's life, he and Jacob eventually reconciled. And no matter what might have happened in Esau's life, there was never going to be a scenario where he would regain that thing that he lost. And you know what that thing that he lost was? It was that part of his father's will for him. I was talking about Brother Andrew just a minute ago. If he had just taken a different path, not been patient with God, not waited on God, and tried to, tried to force something good, in his perspective, some, some perceived good, he'd have missed out, I believe, on God's will for his life. He wouldn't have the family he has now. He wouldn't have the, the position he has now. He wouldn't be where he is now. The same is true for me. The same is true for any of you if you are in God's will. That, that sometimes there are things that God has for us. His perfect will. And it's a goal He set out for us, something He wants to give us. But if we will not keep Him first in our lives, if we will not submit to God, if we will not keep from waning, and we will not keep from worshiping false idols in our lives and straying into sin and straying away from God, what God wants from us, listen to me and listen closely. You can miss what God has for you. And sometimes, there's no amount of praying that can get that back. Doesn't mean there won't be good. Doesn't mean God won't forgive you for sin. Doesn't mean that God can't restore some things to you. But there's some things that God wants for us that just like Esau, it said no matter what he did or how he tried, it said he could find no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully. With tears. And what that meant is this there was nothing he could do to get his birthright back. It was already gone. So, what is the chastening hand of God in our lives? Sometimes, when we chase false gods, when we chase covetousness, and we chase idolatry in our lives, and we will we'll worship the ball game, and we'll worship every good, fun thing in our life, and we'll put God so far down the list that occasionally we'll remember Him. When the time comes and it's ready and God's got something for us, a birthright, something that, man, y'all got to understand something. He wants you to have it. He's not going to give it to you like that. Are y'all hearing me this morning? He's not going to give it to you like that. Esau's life, Nothing like what it could have been if he had just kept things in the proper perspective. 
My fear for God's people is the same fear that Paul said. Paul said, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy. You know what he's saying? I want nothing more than to, to keep you with God. Amen? To press you toward God. To, for you to stay in church. To read your Bible and pray and walk with God. And I want to see God's will for your life fulfilled. But there is a God in heaven whose name is Jealous. And when we allow any old thing that comes along to take his place, when it comes time for that birthright, is he going to hand it to you? Or is he going to withhold? And say, not yet. Not this. Say, well, he'll keep it for me until I'm ready. No, he'll give it to someone else. Just like what happened with Esau. His birthright went to Jacob, and Esau was left with nothing. God may have a perfect will for you, and he may, man, he may have that man or that woman he wants you to marry, young people. He may have that job or that ministry or that thing or whatever that may be. But if you're not there in his will when it's time for him to give it to you because you're too busy chasing some false god, he will take that good intended for you, and he will give it to someone else. Amen. I don't want that for you. Amen? Some of y'all here this morning, you got children and grandchildren. You, you don't want that for your children. You don't want that for your grandchildren. The same author who wrote these words at the end of that chapter, here's what he said. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Our God is love. Our God is mercy. He is grace. He is kindness and goodness, gentleness. But He's also jealous. And while He wants to pour out good on you, He is not just going to pour out the best He has for you when you're reserving what's left for Him. Amen? Let's all stand. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, and have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.